My people, my people, come on, come on to the Racing Family Show. Look at that. We've got Allie, got Sarah, the Steve Bonnet. Steve's got a, uh, a hot date planned for this weekend in Toronto. Alex, how you doing, Steve Grinstead? I don't know why I'm in a singing mood today. Wait a minute, we got Jamie Carr? Holy cow. Bernard, you're here at the start of the show? What is going on? There's something strange happening in the universe. Marion, great to see you. Ryan. Uh, ben Bretzman. No way! We got a Ben Bretzman like one minute into the show? And my co-host isn't even here because that's who he is? I got to invite my guy Ben to speak just because I love myself some Ben Bretzman. Um, Cam and Nitty, great to see you. If this is your first time listening, this is what we do. A little bit of a uh, little bit of a roll call here, a little bit of a roster introduction to everybody. Also, Lance Snyder. I'm going to grab the door, too, by the way. Uh, got a delivery, so be right back. Look at that. Exciting stuff. Uh, Chris, great to see you. <sighs> well, hey, we get to play race car this weekend. After a welcome weekend off for IndyCar, Scott Richards, hello, one of uh, our newer friends, a great, great help to what I've been doing recently with some amazing statistics he's been helping me uh, with. So, Scott, thank you for being all kinds of awesome. Ben Bretzman, unmute yourself and just say hello. And for those who don't know, um, race engineer to the stars, a star maker, Ben Bretzman, something like that. Uh, evening. Was that your pizza? What, what was that? No, uh, I, but it's uh, food for my wife. Actually. More important. Yeah, well, all uh, she has been uh, vegan for a while, all super plant-based. Um, she is an intensive researcher. And years ago, when we first started fighting breast cancer, uh, she did lots of reading, read lots of studies, and said, you know what? I have to completely change my diet. I need to strip this thing out that is known to uh, give energy or strength to particular things that uh, make her breast cancer unique. And so very quickly got to a point to where, well... <laughs> Uh, we're going to be super vegan, and uh, yeah, so just got a delivery of some good uh, good food for her. She was already better than us, and just keeps getting better. I don't know how you're ever going to catch up. Oh, I am uh, I am a pity project of hers for sure, Ben. But, uh, <laughs> many of us know that feeling of uh, yeah. Basically, I'm here to kill spiders, take out the garbage. Uh, I know my value; it's fairly limited. Um, hey. We also have our man, the Christopher Wheeler, also known as co-host of the Racing Family Show. Are you in Toronto with, uh, I assume, our man Bretzman as well? No. No. Okay. No, I'm not. I am, I am in uh, Noblesville, Indiana. Uh, sorry that I'm late, but I was stuck between two things. I was watching uh -huh. the end of qualifying for the Eldora, Eldora Million and something Ben knows about. I was also looking through the new information for my Rapsodo, my hitting analysis device that I just received today, courtesy of Amazon Prime Day specials, to be able to further evaluate my golf swing. That's phenomenal. I know nothing about such things, but I love that you love it, and that's all that matters. Is this a good thing he's, he's gotten into here, Ben? Yeah, I mean, it's just going just gonna... to educate him more how bad his golf swing is <laughs> that's that's really it right i mean if i'm going to be able to keep up with guys like ben i've really got to dig down here and i think it's going to become my new focus in life um spotting super easy to do so uh, i'm just going to show up and do that without practice or training and i'm just going to focus and dedicate my life to my golf game well it was either dedicating your life to jesus or golf <laughs> And we see the direction that you've gone. Hey, I should mention, I feel compelled to mention, also, you know, let's be sure to light him up on Twitter and social media. Um, the kind of official, unofficial third member of the Racing Family Show, Kyle Kirkwood, hasn't been on in a while. Right, Wheeler? I mean, 
Uh, I'm struggling to remember the last time we had Kirk you know, on. So I reached reached out last week and said, hey, uh, doing the show, care to join us? And he sends me a photo. I'm guessing this was in Florida uh, on what looks like a boat slash uh, starter yacht. Um, we didn't. I didn't see him in the photo, but I did see two young companions um, that he might have an interest in being around, and they were wearing the kind of things you do when you're out on a boat in the sun. And um, I think I just replied something along the lines of, "You know, remember to wear protection." Uh, so he was clearly uh, preoccupied. Well, you know, I sent him a text a little while ago. And said, hey, doing the show again, want to join us? To which he tells us, maybe, sends a photo of him out golfing, right? Yeah. And says he might have dinner with his engineer tonight. To which I said, uh, that's a bad call. Jeremy Millis might kill you. Well. Because we're always in fear well, of first, Jeremy First off, us. Marshall, thank you for reminding uh, something that Brett needs reminded of. Wear sunscreen. It's important. Um. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the Bahamas. Also, that photo, um, multi-day trip, nothing uh, out of the out of the ordinary for him on a on some time away from the racetrack. But uh, I think he's mad at me, to be honest with you. I um, he keeps texting me, asking me to play golf, but he texts me when I'm like already playing golf, and he keeps replying sick invite, and then we don't talk again until the next time he texts me about golfing. So. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll take him golfing after Toronto, and I'll, and I'll get him happy again, and then he'll be back. I mean, I'm not at Toronto this weekend, but I'll be at every race on from Iowa. So, and look, I'll, I'll just yoke him up if need be. So do you, so you want to come play golf bit. with us? Uh, you don't want to see that. <laughs> I kind of do, I'm uh, not going to lie. I could use the win right now. Uh, that would be another Bigfoot sighting in so, the wild, so that would be... <laughs> Um, not to get too out of line here as far as segment as, oh, well, no. as far as segments go, because I know we have an entire agenda tonight written out and proofread and formatted. Um, we don't. We don't. Um, can we talk about how excited I am for the potential chance of rain this weekend on a street course, Ben? I don't know if you've been studying the weather as much as I have, but, man, if we get these rain showers on Sunday, I love – Love, love, love street racing in the wet. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Good. Yep. Uh, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, it's exciting. You know, I think it's great. Didn't we go red, um, Ben, with rain at Toronto like 10, 8, 10 years ago where – I think they had yep. paved or put sealer down the back straight to turn three, and basically it just sat there and, and flooded, or it st- yeah. the water just stayed instead of pouring oh. off. There's been a lot of good, fun rain Toronto stories. One time we did two races in one day. Um, yeah, no, it's it's exciting in, in there in rain. Um, there's there's so many different surfaces and places for waters to water to puddle and yeah yeah it's uh it's not that we're probably none of us probably looking forward to it i mean it it adds to the excitement level for the fans so i love that but yeah um i think the only guy that might actually love that idea is tom blomkvist right he's already going to be so far behind the eight ball uh, and he's got wicked car control. Like, I don't know, the idea of him in the rain making his IndyCar debut at Toronto. Um, that could be, that has some serious spoiler capabilities there. As we, as we used to call it go-kart racing, it's just a great equalizer, right? So that would definitely come out and help him. Because um, uh, you, don't, you don't know what you're going to have ever in Toronto in the rain. Man, so, um, I'll be honest, I'm partial to it. The first time I ever went to Victory Lane as an IndyCar spotter was Toronto in mixed conditions. Uh, mixed like you had beer and tequila? No, like or, it was like, it was like wet, dry, wet, dry. One of those deals. Um, I remember Power, I think, crashed in warm-up 
because it was so bad coming back on the front stretch. This is when we used to pit on the other side of the track. Um, and ended up winning it with Bourdais. That that was actually on the, the warm-up lap for the race. It, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't with Penske at the time. I was still at Schmidt, Hamilton, McLaren, Peterson. HP racing. Something. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, um, but that was, uh, yeah, he wrecked on the warm-up lap for the race. And then they red-flagged it. And then we, that's when we ended up having two races in one day. If I remember that, what, was that the first Was that the first standing start event? Oh. Uh, I, I, I feel like that might have been it. I also feel like that might have been. been the weekend where I got possibly my favorite ever victory lane photo of Bourdais with his winning little glass vase or whatever, which wasn't attached that to was the base, Baltimore, which he didn't wasn't know. It? No, no, no. That was Toronto. Oh yeah. No, that was Toronto. I'll never forget that one. And yeah, it, it shattered and broke and all he had left to hold up was this little wooden base. <laughs> I, I do remember the second race, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the second race, it was much wet. It was more wet. Um, and it started to dry, and I remember talking with the timing stand on the crew channel. I was like, man, you guys, like, first one to go to Slicks here and hold it is going to win this race. Because, like, it started to dry so late that we were in the window to make it, but nobody was willing to do it. I think Conway did it with, with ECR, ended up getting that, that win. He was the first guy down pit lane to put on Slicks and was gone. Man, I, I miss Mike Conway. Uh, I got to see him for the first time in a while at Le Mans. And, I mean, no issues with him deciding he was no longer interested in ovals. But talk about a guy who showed up, zero fanfare, nobody knowing who he was. That guy did some pretty impressive winning. Kind of microphone drop Mike Conway. Uh, that guy put in some real work. He was uh, one, one, well, two, two little interesting nuggets there. So back in 20, you might have to look this up, 2010, Andretti was having an absolute garbage year. And they basically went and bought a brand new Delara, kept it, basically assembled it as it would have been as a Delara car, not as like an Andretti car. Put a bone stock car out there with some generic dampers and blah, 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 and went out and crushed everybody and won the race. Because they just long, needed... Was that Long Beach? Long Beach, Beach yep. Long Beach, yeah. They did a full yeah, reset like, of everything. And they're like, well, see, it's not that difficult. Yeah. I mean, not only do I remember that, but yeah, I think also the car was, like, black and might have had sponsorship from, like, Buffalo Wild Wings or something, yeah. which I'd never Midas heard of something. before. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> Whatever it was. But yeah, it was just this total, like, Huh. The car no, was they did, totally they did a, random. And Andre did a full reset, and that's what that's what happened. Oh, and now, uh, good on Mike. He's uh, gone on to win Le Mans multiple times, world championships uh, with Toyota. So <sighs> I wish uh, wish we could get him back for a little bit of fun. Um, hey, totally unrelated. I had something show up yesterday, which I'm really looking forward to, and it's Super meaningless and obscure, but it's about five feet tall and about two and a half foot wide rectangular box. And in it, definitely Francesco. Uh, well, I said five feet tall. It was if it was about four, I, I think. Uh, sorry, uh, love you, Dev. Shots fired. Um, it is a blueprint filing system, and so it's this. It's all made out of cardboard or whatever else, but. I've been trying to think for years, guys, of I have legitimately 40 years worth of racing posters I've collected, and they're all in poster tubes. And the amount of space they take up in Rubbermaid tubs and otherwise is ridiculous. Why don't I try and consolidate all of them in some sort of filing system? And because I'm an idiot, I've been searching the interwebs for poster, filing, poster, this, that. And finally said, well, moron, why don't you think a little more industrial and think about blueprints and that kind of thing, which really does need a solid layer of archival infrastructure. And lo and behold, found plenty of options. So 
I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to do it this weekend between sessions at Toronto, but I have a dream to uh, organize hundreds upon hundreds of racing posters between series and then even the ones that I want to keep and the ones that I want to sell. But legitimately, this is like 40 years in the making, and I'm so happy I finally get to do it. You know, it's funny. Um, I just went through a whole thing with my card collection, and I had it in my brain, Marshall, how I wanted to organize this thing by sport and then by type, right? So whether it's just a base card, a parallel, a short print, a numbered, an auto, a patch, a patch auto, a rookie, a rookie patch auto, all these things. I was like, You're man. saying words I don't understand, but I love it. This is what I'm going to do. Like, it's going to break down all these things. It's going to be great. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Sure didn't. I have like a box of autos. I haven't gone through them. I haven't separated them. I've done the bare minimum and it took me way too long to get to this point. And now I'm just staring at them actually right now, wondering to myself, will I ever actually do what I think I'm going to do? Or is this about as good as it gets? So good luck well, with your posters. Uh, let me get, let me get through this process and then I'll see if I can learn anything that helps you in that process. And oh, I have a lot more of things that I have kept that I need to organize. So this is kind of the first experiment here. But uh, hey, why don't we talk about racing? And before we do that, why don't I say a thank you to Ryan Caminiti and Steve Bonick and some others, uh, Sarah and Jeremiah Morell, um, and others in the Prude who have helped arm me with some amazing beers because I reached into the fridge and grabbed a Duclaw Brewing Company, the Pastryarchy, Chocolate Cherry Desert Stout, uh, 9.4% alcohol. Uh, so not crazy, but it is one pint. And whenever I get stuff like this, and I'm like, oh, this is just going to be sugary overload, there's hints of that, but it's always like an alcoholic punch. So there's a little bit of bait and switch here, but thanks again to the Prude for uh, taking me all the way to happiness. I got to get different friends. <laughs> You need to join the Prude, Ben Bretzman. Um, no, no, he doesn't. We've had this yes. discussion. <laughs> Only so many people with a hard card can be in Prude because it's my place to vent on Twitter. And if we keep adding people with hard cards, man, I am running out of people to complain about. <laughs> Even though I would never complain about Ben. I'm still trying to get into the Fall Classic. I mean, Ben's about the nicest, smartest guy you're ever going to meet. So, yeah, I, I don't know if... Other than beating your driver, that's about the only thing I can think of that would make you an event uh, regarding Ben. So um, let's 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 talk racing. And, and when we talk racing, I want to take a flashback to last weekend. I know it's not IndyCar, but I want to go back to most sport. And I want to talk about some IMSA sports car racing. You have a, a new award. I do. You want to uh, present, we have a new which award. Excites me. It's going to be weekly. If there's no racing, I'll try. Um to come up with something from social media. But if there's on-track action, then we're going to try and get it from there. But the weekly award is now the Don't Be a Dick Award. Um, also known as the You Don't Get Any Friendship Bracelets Award. But yeah. yeah, the No Friendship Bracelets Don't Be a Dick Award presented here from the racing family. And maybe we keep a tally, Marshall, and if anybody gets it multiple times, whoever gets it the most, we'll send them a picture or a plaque or a Cast middle finger. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, for repeat winners, maybe it's the Stop Being a Dick Award. So maybe there's levels to it. But I love the fact that coming out of Most Sport, a.k.a. Canadian Tire Motorsports Park, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, two hours and 40 minutes of racing, four classes, great stuff. And in that two hours and 40 minutes, oh, there wasn't one contender for the new award. There's many contenders, which I think was the inspiration that came to our man Wheeler, who was there, that, wow, th there's a couple folks who could win this one. I don't know. What do we do? Do we just give it to one, or can multiple people win it at the same time? Well, um, yeah, you know, it's tough, right, to determine that. And I think maybe sometimes it'll be a question of the week if, if we have multiple nominees. So maybe we just throw out nominees in case there's just – not, you know, an easy one clear answer. Like, this week, there's not a clear answer. I mean, we could start with Patrick Pillay, um and the FAF Porsche. Explain. So, I mean, I'm, 
you know, if you're on TV, maybe you don't see it. Um, but from my vantage point, on late restart, it's him in the Lexus 14. I think Barnacote would have been in the car then, since it's the second towards the end. Disclaimer that Chris Wheeler was there working with the Lexus racing team. I was not with Lexus. No. No. You didn't kind of slide in there? Under no. The, well, look, I, I know Ganassi was there, but sometimes they don't, you know. Zero I one thought Cadillac, you might have been baby. Vassar Sullivan in yourself. No, 0-1 Cadillac. So okay. I'm sitting there just, you know, our cars are gone, taking off down, the, down towards two and three, and then here come the GTs. And sure enough, there's about three feet between the cars at Apex, and Pele just turns left. I mean, take them both off track. And you need to be turning right for those yeah, who didn't see the right race and aren't I mean, familiar with turn one. It's a right-hander. So yep. if you're turning left and you're right yep. next to another car on your outside, yep. um, that indicates uh, questionable behavior. Yep. Yeah, so I thought it was a dick move. Um, and so that's why that's a nominee. I, I got another nominee. Would you like that one? Please, because I have one who... I have more than one, but well, yeah, how about, how we about might you have go? Same. Maybe you go next, so we don't. I don't. I don't want to take yours. Well, uh, while we were cheering the Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing Team, and hello to our friend Patrick Lanigan, who's joining in, cheering for them, their breakthrough win in the GTP class at Watkins Glen after the Porsche Penske team did not make it successfully all the way through the end of the race procedures. Uh, we got to Mosport, and the drivers and car that won at Watkins Glen, Connor Filippi, Nick Yellowly, pretty clean and flawless race. Sister car, that 24? Oh, boy. Um, Philip Eng, who was the opening driver, um, I, I think, how is this? As bad as Romain Groschon's road america indycar race was where it seems like he was always off track getting in someone's way creating hatred just being a nuisance he kind of sort of channeled his inner bourdain and was making no friends during the race and then nearly took himself out under caution charging down the hill towards moss corner and i don't want to i'd be lying if i said nearly hit some of the track sweepers there was still a fairly decent amount of distance between his BMW and them, but it was scary. Uh, definitely unnecessary. So, yeah, I would say young Mr. Eng, he, uh, he, he deserves a, uh, a Dick of the Race nomination for sure. And his teammate, and this comes back to you, so you shouldn't comment on this because you're obviously there with Cadillac Racing, uh, end of the race, brought out a caution, ended under caution because his teammate Augusto Farfus, who I think the world of and is an amazing driver, I don't know what happened. But in the very same car that was menacing others earlier, um, he didn't happen to see Renger Vantazanda in that number 01 Cadillac Racing GTP car and nerfed him off the track at what I believe is the highest speed section of the track. And while Renger got out and was okay, oh, that Cadillac was mollywhopped, uh, tore up pretty good, all because, again, I don't know why Farfus didn't see him, uh, but moved left as Renger was trying to pass him around the outside and chucked him onto the grass and lost traction and flew into the barriers in a pretty, pretty big, sizable crash. So uh, both drivers of that number 24 BMW I would say deserve nominations. Maybe though we just consolidate it to the vehicle as a whole. I'm not going to argue. Uh, I'm not going to comment, but I'm not going to argue. So my second nominee would be the 74 Ranch LMP3 car. So Garrett Grist and his team did a fantastic job. Uh, Canadian John, kid at his home yeah. race. Like they, they did. They had a great race. Were they the fastest car? No. But endurance racing and, sp and sports car racing, I should say, like, you know, uh, look, the JDC number five wasn't the fastest car either, but they held on to a top five because that had a great strategy. Um, and so who's even driving this? Who's the, who's the pro in that car, Marshall? 
That'd be Philippe Fraga, who is really good. Really, yeah. really, really good. And, not a surprise, pretty darn aggressive. Yeah, so apparently, so we're going to the final set of corners. I mean, this is literally mi- a minute or two, what, before the 01 crash? Yeah, a couple minutes before final yeah. corner. Fraga, yeah, makes well, Fraga made the left-hander, second to last corner. And then just rotated the crap out of the car. Was never going to make the corner without hitting the leader. Never, ever, not going to happen. You can give me the Takuma Sato angles from Pocono diagram. I don't care. You're not making the corner without A, jumping the curb, and B, hitting the leader. And just drove into him. But that's not where it gets, that's not even the worst part. Yeah, I just want to re- remind you, uh, the uh, our friends at the the... Robinson Racing Team. They make their living um, providing very large firearms to people uh, to go out on their extremely large ranch and shoot things from a distance. So, just saying, uh, don't go all the as hard as you can in the paint here because uh, I don't want to. I don't want to be at Iowa and we're talking, and all of a sudden I see the little red dot. I'm really not worried about it. That's uh, okay. Yeah, that's all bark, no bite. So, but this guy, the, the worst part isn't even cutting the corner and hitting the guy. He literally finishes him off by just straightening his hands and running grist all the way to the edge, off into the junk, so he couldn't even attack back. And so it, those are my two nominees. But um, we're not done there. You have and more? What did it, well, no. What did IMSA do uh, after seeing this fairly blatant dive bomb? Using the leader, Garrett, again, just overstating out. Garrett was leading his home race in LMP3 with, you know, five, ten minutes left to go, whatever it was. Dive bombs him at the final corner. As Chris said, there really was no way he was making it through the corner without making contact to slow himself against Grist's car. And then basically does what Pele did earlier, opens his hands up and runs him off track into the dirt and runs off and wins the race. And what did IMSA do after seeing that? Uh, we took the Renger, not the Renger, the Renus VK, um, <laughs> uh, Felix Rosenquist approach in turn three at Road America and no action taken. So, oh boy. Yeah. Uh, but clearly such tactics are now sanctioned. Well, we'll, uh, we'll see how that one shakes out. But uh, those are my nominees. Probably the question of the week next week. See who you think it is. And, hey, if you catch something at, uh, at your local track or at an event that maybe we're not at or not seeing and you see something, DM it to me. Don't DM it to Marshall. He doesn't check his DMs. But DM it to me. And maybe when I'm bored on the golf course one moment, I will read it. And if I think it is noteworthy to be mentioned as a potential candidate for the next week, then, hey, I might, might even save it in my phone. I'm a zero sliding into DMs guy, so that's a very accurate decision there. Uh Wheeler, on the other hand, lives there constantly. So big, big uh, DM guy. Total, total DM guy. Hey, what else can we talk about? Well, I um, think I think we should talk about the the good part of Mosport that relays to Toronto, which is loved Mike Shanks post race zero f's given interview with Dylan Welch on the timing stand. Um, I love the passion. I've never once wavered my absolute love. And friendship for Mike Shank over the last however many months. I don't even know what month it is now. But for him to for them to get the win, that's really cool. But let's talk about Tom Blumquist. Um, you know, look, it sucks that Pagano's still not ready to get in the car. Love Simon. Um, but this is the world we live in, right? I the upside is that Simon is recovering, and that's the worst of it. Um, somebody else has to get in his car for another race, so be it. There's more races. Um, I mean, heck, we had a global pandemic. We still raced. So the races will still keep coming. The healthiness for Simon is the key. Um, but it opens the door for a Tom Blumquist, who's been in the rumor mills we've talked about, as you, as you have covered frequently on your own, on your podcast, as well as on Eraser.com. Um, and so I think it's a great opportunity. And Honestly, I think a street race is exactly what he needs for the most realistic of eye openings. Spoke with Tom yesterday uh, as he was arranging flights to return. Shank had told me he'd asked 
Tom to stay in Canada in the slim, very slim, remote chance that Simon was not cleared. Everybody expected Simon to be cleared. Tom told me, you know, he kind of looked at the uh, the percentages and said, yeah, well, look, I've got a two-week or whatever break until I have to be back for Road America IMSA. I want to head back to Europe and just chill and have some downtime. And so he opted to leave and said basically he landed <laughs> and got a call from Shank saying, where you at? What are you doing? Get back here. And uh, so, yeah spoke with uh, Shank earlier today, and he said, yep, he's uh, on a flight, should be landing here shortly. Two things come to mind, and I'd love to get Ben's thoughts here as well. I mentioned earlier in the year, I might have been the guy to reveal it for the first time, Blomqvist is not announced as a full-time Meyer Shank Racing IndyCar driver next year, but no one be surprised when that gets announced. Uh, as I continue to understand, it would be in the 06 car, that being the one that uh, Elio has been in full-time. We'll see what happens in the 60 car. Simon's in the second of a two-year contract with Shank. The crash, which was not his fault, didn't come at a great time, right? Needing to put up some good results. He had, although the finishing position at Road America wasn't amazingly impressive in and of itself. Simon and the 60 car team had a great visit to Elkhart Lake, made some real progress with the car. The feeling of it was really something that Simon was loving and responding to. Barely got a chance to build on that on Friday, getting into mid-Ohio, but there was really high confidence that, hey, we found something and have turned the corner. Simon's been in the midst of his worst career season ever any form of racing ever 24th in in the points coming into uh uh mid ohio but they really felt like they'd found something and they were going to be motoring back uh to close the season that being exactly what simon needs to earn a contract extension so i want to talk about blomkvist more here in a little bit but ben knowing how close you are how much success you've had with simon obviously winning IndyCar Championship, Indy 500. Tell me about Simon in terms of fight back. Like, it's one thing when everything's going well and cruising and whatnot. We've seen that for Simon when everything's just operating smoothly. But tell folks about Simon when you've seen him, where he's had to rally back from something, overcome some adversity. I've seen it before from the outside, and that is someone who is absolutely beastly in a car but what do you know about your uh, your dear friend when he's uh given challenges like this to return at iowa or wherever it might be after uh concussion like symptoms yeah it's, it's tough right like he i mean well obviously first of all like i've you know, i've been talking to him off and on the last few days and you know he's doing the best he can it sucks because toronto is one of his best tracks right um I think up until last year, his last three finishes were like a 2.2 average in 17, 18, and 19 at Toronto, right? So it was that's his best track to run at, and we always ran really well there when he was still at Penske, and even before that at SPM. And um, so yeah, that's that wasn't great timing for him, obviously, right? Um, it, well, so he's he's by far. I've worked with like a pretty big list of drivers right i've worked with the darios i've worked with the with the canons i've worked with the montoyas i've worked with the new gardens i worked with the powers worked with new listed and i've probably worked with the tops of indycar right and like he's by far the most professional racing driver i've ever worked with he will go on above and beyond whatever it takes to be successful um and he's had to grind to get to where he's at. And this is not a shot at Simon, but he's like, there's a difference between Juan Pablo Montoya and his, his um, natural skill of driving a race car. And Simon's like, Simon doesn't have that level of natural ability to drive a race car, but he does have the grind and the determination to do it and to get to that level. Um, and that's what, like, I've always been amazed at that. Like he won't, we had years, 
um, at Penske that were super difficult, right? When we first got there in 2015, we were garbage. Um, couldn't drive the car on the racetrack at most events. We were lucky to get a, I have a quick call. We had like one pole position, I think at Fontana and I don't even know. I don't even know if we had a podium. Like it was, it was a really bad year, right? It was a um, rough and it was surprising too, because you're coming off of being giant killers at SP. Oh, yeah, so the whole yeah, narrative yeah. was, whoa, drop him into Penske lights out. But instead to your point, it was a difficult year. You, I mean, it was a year long fight. We were, we were battling with 40% of the budget in between 12 and 14 of the guys we were racing against and finished in top three, top five of those three years. And we went there and we, we went to Penske and we couldn't, lack of a better term, we couldn't hit our ass because there was a lot of things that were needed to change and a lot of things that he needed to understand. But I've never seen someone go to work like he did, um, pushing not only me, I mean, we, we, we would grind off each other, right? But pushing the team to the level that they needed to get to, I've never seen, never seen a Dario do that. I've never seen a, a Power do that. I've never seen these guys push that. You know why? You know we need to do this. But, and a lot of it's just because of he needs to. He doesn't have that well-powered single lap pace. He doesn't have that one Montoya. Um, hey, I'm gonna just outdrive this guy just with sheer tenacity, right? And nobody um, does. Those guys are. The ones you mentioned are unicorns, and that's what you're saying is, for those who don't know, that that's nothing critical against Simon. The majority of IndyCar drivers, uh, heck, even F1 in any major series, the majority of them are not these once-in-a-lifetime talent uh, types. They're ones who have great natural talent, but have to fight and grind, as Ben said, to develop the last percent or two to fight among some of these ones that you hate, like <laughs> there's everybody hates Montoya. Yeah, he's a loathsome personality. Kidding aside, I love him. But like the guy is so naturally talented, it pisses all of his rivals off because they're like, you know, Dixon's somewhat similar. Where you go, like this guy could wake up five minutes before the race, like wiping sleep out of his eye, and go win the thing. You'd be like, oh, that was cool. And like you go, screw you, okay? <laughs> like we can't. The rest of us can't do this. The old, uh, the old young Dixon, when he was in his early age, it was the old bottle of throttle time. How many hours did you need before he got in the race car? So it was it was tough, right? And Simon's just very different. Like he, he has to work his ass off to get to where he's at. And like 2015 was a great example. We got our got our butts whooped and said, okay, that's doesn't need to happen again. And he, he worked his tail off for five months in the off season and went out next season won the championship, right? And same thing happened in 2018. We couldn't hit our butts again when we went to Universal Aero Kit. Then came out the next year and finished, I think, second in the championship, won the Indy 500, um, won a couple other races, and it was great, right? And then he's, he's just uh, really good at, at pushing himself and pushing the team to get to the next level. And I think that's, I don't know, as an outsider, right? I'm obviously not with him anymore, but I think that's, in, in my mind, I think that that's what that's what Mike still needs. I right? put put Bloomquist in the car and and let Simon kind of help guide the team because he knows what's right and wrong with the race team and how to be successful at it. Um, I think that's pretty irreplaceable sometimes. Um, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see what they say. But he's he's definitely going to keep fighting. That's for sure. Blomqvist, uh, Chris, as well. You've had a chance to see him. I have as well in IMSA, in DPI, and obviously this year in GTP. And Ben, you've probably had, uh, I know you've had a little bit of a window into it just through uh, Penske's Porsche GTP program and what you've at least been able to observe there. But these are vastly different vehicles, right? You might go, wait a minute, they're both like prototypes and look kind of similar and from a driving standpoint, these are totally different creatures. The previous generation of DPIs, lower horsepower, wider tires, and by comparison, a lot more downforce. And kind of like the high downforce manufacturer, Aerokitier of IndyCar. And Blomkvist was just untouchable. <laughs> just an absolute raging monster. 
Now we move over to the GTP cars, which are way heavier. They do, and they have more power. They have less tire and significantly less downforce. And you go, oh, well, wow, this does not sound like something that's a lot of fun to drive or easy to control. And what has Blomqvist done yet again with a radically different driving challenge presented to him? Mastered this as well. Been the fastest guy in the series yet again. Um, I cannot think of a better youngish driver. He's 29, but he's a lot like Chris. He reminds me a lot of Felix Rosenquist in the sense that not only does he have a, a Quist in his name, but he's arriving in IndyCar for the first time, relatively young, but with insane amounts of experience in all kinds of different cars, which will only lend itself to him adapting to IndyCar quickly. So, you know, of course, it'd be amazing to see him P12 on Friday in free practice one. It's not going to happen, but I do think this guy is armed with the perfect skills to deal with something like this last-minute call-up and hopefully represent himself well and show Shank that, yeah, this is the guy of the future here in IndyCar. What do you think from what you've seen with him? Do you think he's primed for uh, this task as well? I, I think he, honestly, I think he's ready to rip. I think, I think you'll be surprised. Um, you know, how we race in IndyCar is different, obviously, than in, in IMSA. But, I mean, his, his history and his DNA of open wheel racing is nothing to, to shy away from. Massively successful in the junior formula ranks throughout Europe. Um, and I think having, you know, showing his transition from the, from the last generation of IMSA to the GTP and the differences that there are and how much more difficult the current car is to drive. Um, I, I truly think that it's actually going to help him on this one. Um, because we don't have a ton of downforce in the cars. Our tires aren't that great. Um, yeah, sometimes there's a decent amount of power in them. But uh, I think he's going to be fine, man. And honestly, don't be shocked if he is in the top 12 in FP1 because he's going to get that extra set of tires. And we all know that the new tires in that first session are massive. Um, and it's not like he's a true rookie, right? It's not like he's a rookie um, showing up for the first time at this level, at, the high, at a high-end level that's this professional with this many engineers and this many people pointing for you to do things and data to go through and and interviews to have, right? He's a professional race car driver. It's just by our standard of his experience in the sport, he's a rookie. So I'm, I'm excited for it, man. I, I really am. I think he's going to do a fantastic job. And you know what? For the, for the sake of Mike Shank and his entire organization, I hope to have a great weekend. Um, I gave him two pieces of advice. When you come in for your first pit stop, don't unbuckle and jump out waiting to help someone to get in, okay? No longer co-driver teammate stuff. He's like, okay, that, that, that's a good one. I hadn't thought about that yet. So he's going to remember to stay in the car and drive it for the whole race, so that part's good. Um, but the other one was, the more serious one, was uh, you're going to watch a lot of in-car footage. He said he's been and will continue watching a lot of YouTube in-car. I'm like, YouTube Tom, here we go. Uh, I said my only piece of advice is there's, what, 11 turns, the last one, just surrender. Give it up. Uh, attack the other 10 as you learn it on Friday. But everybody from Newgarden to Dixon to Boo Boo the Fool, whatever the newest rookie is, absolutely has tagged that wall, gotten offline just a little bit. Gets worse, obviously, once we get, we get into the race and there's marbles and whatnot, but... That final corner, uh, yeah, it, it is Toronto's equivalent of the Wall of Champions. If you're having to surrender that just to have a clean session and figure everything else out, don't be too mad at yourself. He's like, yeah, I already spotted that. Uh, that seems to be the place that everybody crashes. So I'm like, okay, don't be that guy. Mike Shank's going to love you. I've never heard, well, I shouldn't say never, but it ranks up there with like a Disney World slash Milwaukee mile crash. Um, Juan Pablo, I think it was 2016, hit that hit the outside wall hard there. We were happened to be in pit box one, 
I haven't heard a hit that hard in a while, uh, even on ovals. Um, like that, a let turn eleven at Toronto is for real <laughs> right nowadays. <laughs> JPM doesn't mess around. I mean, whatever he does, it, it's it's a hundred percent. You know, Mister Wheeler, we have a couple of guests uh, who've requested to speak, including one who was and hello, Cassie, one of our dear dear friends. Uh, we have someone, Chris, who you promised would be the first to speak I did. this week. So uh, let, let's not welch on our uh, on our promises here. Peter, welcome to the show. You're first up. Uh, good evening, Marshall. Good evening, Chris. And uh, good evening to the entire racing family. Uh, first things first, got to pour one out for uh, Nick DeVries. Uh, I understand anybody who says uh, they pulled the plug on him too soon in Formula One, but... Um, it's one thing to be a rookie. It's another thing to be a 28-year-old rookie and you have a Formula 2 and a Formula E championship under your belt. So uh, I, I think he'll land on his feet. Um, for Tom Blumquist, um, yeah, I can talk tonight. Um, cool that he's going to get an IndyCar debut. Uh, would like to see Simon Paginot making a return for Toronto, but uh, those are the breaks, and uh, he's got to take care of himself first. And uh, anybody who bets against uh, Simon Paginot, uh, you're going to lose that bet uh, time and again. Uh, so uh, good things for Tom Blumquist. Uh, I think uh, anything, you know, it, it's cool that he's uh, making his debut, um, but if he does well, that's just icing on the cake. Um, love the nominations for, uh, uh, don't be a dick. Uh, and it leads to my question, just, does there seem to be an inordinate amount of, uh, poor decision-making in, uh, endurance sports car racing this year? I'm seeing it in IMSA. I'm seeing it. I saw it at, uh, 24 hours of Le Mans. Are, are, are people just losing their minds? Um, you know, what, what's happening to driving standards out there? Uh, I, I'll be honest, and Marshall, your take is probably going to be different because that's why I love you. But when it comes to sports car racing, man, it's it's always to me been uh, the situation and the the scorecard in sports car racing changes a lot. Um, we go through years of sports car racing where we're funded by dentists and doctors, and you know we have pros and and amateurs and everybody's kind of getting paid and everybody's happy and we're, it's good enough for us to be there and do it. And then we get these big, these big influxes of manufacturers and competition. And that's what we're dealing with right now. And I think the competition is absolutely so fierce and there are five times the amount of drivers, whether they have the talent or they have the money to be in this, the limited available seats in sports cars globally that, the stakes are so much higher that the, the racing is just as hard as you're going to see it. And unfortunately, when you're pushing that hard, that deep in the field, this is the stuff that happens. Shit gets torn up, mistakes are made, um, and people hit things very hard. And so I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a driving standard issue. I think it's, it'll come and go. Um, I do. I, I will say. Do I always agree with what Bar, Bo Barfield decides from race control and IMSA? Absolutely not. Um, does he know that? Absolutely, because we talk about it. But I do respect Bo in regard to what we mentioned last week and the Bo Barfield effect in racing. The way he treats a lot of this stuff. You know, if you're going to drive like that and do that to somebody, penalty or not. Do not complain to me when they do it back to you. Um, you know, I heard some reports at Most Sport that Bo went into the driver's meeting. He didn't introduce the invocation. He didn't introduce special guests. He walked in straight up and started calling people out for their actions at the previous race. And so, um, you know, I, look, it's going to happen. It's going to happen in every level of racing. Um Unfortunately, like I said, there's more people with talent and money right now than there are open seats. You know, LMP2 shutting down in WEC is influxing a lot of people with a lot of budget to be able to come in here and take these rides right now. 
And so people are driving their absolute tails off 10 tenths every lap to try and make sure that they don't get forgotten about when it comes to setting these seats for 2024. I don't radically disagree with what you said, brother. I would push back just a little bit on the notion that this year there's somehow a, you know, significant change in the level of driving intensity or, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, those IMSA races last year were really silly intense as well. Um, I do, though, wonder, and this applies to IndyCar and IMSA, and who knows, maybe some other series, I do wonder at times if there's a general note from someone way at the top of, of the racing series saying, hey, you know, uh, the more viralish moments we have wouldn't be terrible, right? We got some more interesting content to clip off and post on social media for folks to go, whoa, look at that. Um, I don't know. Part of me wonders if there's any kind of messaging reaching race directors saying, hey, uh, maybe some contact and maybe some disagreements and some uh, tension wouldn't be the worst thing to allow. And I say that because you mentioning Bo, dear, dear long-term friend as well, Bo showing up at the most sport drivers meeting and laying into people for their driving standards at the previous race, my immediate thought was, shouldn't those things have been conveyed to those offending drivers during the last race? Hi, person who just smacked the other person into the barrier, did this negligent thing. It's one thing if you're racing super hard and a little bit of paint and body work gets traded and you know okay got it if it's real wheel-to-wheel hardcore racing not everything's going to be perfectly clean but when there are some instances like the one you mentioned this last weekend between the two cars running at the front of lmp3 that to me was a very clear if we're not saying that's not acceptable we're just opening the door to worse and worse driving standards. So if you're not willing to correct some of these things in the moment, but willing to do so after the event at the next driver's meeting and whatnot, again, I, I just think of, okay, well, that sounds like we kind of, we don't want you to do that, but we're not going to say or make the actions that involve penalties to really let you know you shouldn't do that. Now, granted, there were some driving standard penalties that were doled out during last weekend's race. But I look at some of this stuff and just say, hey, if you want folks to run into each other less, you have the tools during the green to checkered period of the race to make that very clear uh, to those who are acting out of bounds. But if we're not seeing some of those obvious penalties being called, I just have to believe they're okay with it. So, you can't then say the driving standards are terrible if you're not real. Like, if everyone's doing 300 miles an hour on the highway and we all feel that's super dangerous, and you talk to the police and say, Why aren't you stopping this? They go, Well, you know, if we run into them afterwards, we'll say, Hey, by the way, saw you doing 300. Please slow down next time. You go, Well, then we can't get upset because you're just not wanting to police the thing you're in charge of policing. So, uh, it's, it is a bit of a mystery, my friend. Well, and just for a little bit of clarity from what, from what I was told, right. How that went down was it wasn't a, Hey, you know, we're watching you closer. This, that I think it was more of a, from what I, again, what I was told, it was more along the lines of you and I, if you got a penalty or you did something wrong, you and I may have already probably already spoken about this, but I think the key message was, you don't need to worry about what I think all the time. You need to remember, you probably need to worry about the people that you did it to. Um, being right with the race director is one thing. Being right with the guy that you drove probably a little bit too hard, probably harder than you would want to be driven, that's a whole nother. So it'll be interesting to see, though, man. Like we talked about with IMSA and the penalties and the tech issues at the last event at Watkins, 
to some of the driving standards here uh, and the, the things done at, at most sport. I'm anxious to just see where we end up and we can talk about this after petite to kind of see where everything kind of gets to by the end of the year. I'm excited for it, man. I love IMSA right now. IMSA is in a great place. It, uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty stoked on it. And, uh, if you're cool, Marshall, we should roll with Steve because I think we're almost out of time. We is, we be. Steve Bonnet. How you doing, brother? I'm good, Marshall. How are you? Well, I got Rosie sleeping here on my right. <laughs> uh, I think Rocky is sunning himself. Uh, everything is excellent in the Prude household. Awesome. Brooke and Brenner here. They want to say hi quick. Hi, Marshall. They- hello, hello. Hey there. Hey there, team. Miss, miss you. <laughs> miss you, bud. Aww. <laughs> I'll forever remember you with ice cream. That's cool. Uh, melting and pouring all over everybody. That was Brooke with the ice cream. Anyway. That's cool. Yep. I'm, I'm not here. Don't worry about it, kids. No, hey, Wheeler. Hi, Wheeler. Wheeler, yeah. we'll see you on Friday, man. I don't want to hear about it. Uh, fair, fair. All right. All right, so here's my question, Marshall. I listened to your, your interview with uh, Marmstrong, as we call him, and I was, I guess, a little bit shocked that Ganassi hasn't signed him already based on how he's done. I know he's kind of hampered by who his spotter is, but, um, and I know Wheeler maybe can't say anything, but I mean, is Ganassi at risk of losing him to Andretti or, you know, somebody else? I I really didn't want to have to answer this on the show, Steve, but oh, shoot. Sorry. No, it's okay. No, no. I mean, uh, the thing I, the thing I edited out of the interview with the young Marcus Armstrong was he is uh, ready to sign just waiting for Ganassi to tell him who his new and improved spotter will be. So that, uh, that's a little bit of the hold up there, but now kidding aside, breaking news. I'm joining him for race control. <laughs> oh dear Lord. Oh no. I, th- I thought you were going to be spotting for our ace spotter, uh, David Hunt here. So I thought, you're, you like that movie, the, the Hitman's Bodyguard or whatever? I think you're going to be the, the Spotterman's no, Spotterman or something. No, it's just Bodyguard. It's the original Bodyguard you're thinking of. He's the talent, and I'll take a bullet for David Hunt, 100%. Well, Minus fair, love fair point. Um, huh. This is an interesting one. I will could talk about it for years. I won't. Um, Chip Ganassi Racing. This is mentioned in my next Silly Season piece. Might not be news to everybody, but it just stopped being mind-blowing. Chip Ganassi Racing has four full-time entries. Going into next season, it has one, a single driver signed. That being Scott Dixon. There is nobody else signed to drive for the team in 2024 other than Scott Dixon. The number 10 car? That I don't expect to be resolved in terms of who will be driving it for a while. And not because they lack options, but because they have so many options. It's the most coveted available seat in all of open wheel racing. Not just IndyCar, like all of open wheel racing. That number 10 Honda, which has sponsorship, so they're looking to hire a driver, is... No joke. Uh, I have heard, I haven't spoken to Chip about this, but I've heard secondhand. He's like, I'm, I'm just going to throw my phone away. I'm going to throw my computer away. I'm going to throw away everything where people can connect or communicate with me because it's just nonstop. Every single person seemingly is badgering him nonstop 24 hours a day. How do I get into the 10? Hire me for the 10. They're in this amazing position, and I'm going to get to the Armstrong here, but it kind of fits the overall theme of what's going on. That number 10 car has everybody wanting to drive it, having seen what Pelot is capable of doing with it, because unplug Pelot and all of the amazing people, uh, everybody that is making the car fast from an engineering standpoint, crew standpoint, just strategy, they're just waiting for whomever this next driver is going to be Look at what could be done in that 10 car. So I don't expect them to sign anybody anytime soon because they can wait, right? They can wait for months and months and months, see who becomes available. There's someone in F1 who we're surprised to learn wants to leave or whatever. They are truly just sitting and waiting. Remember, Steve, 
they signed Palo. I believe it was the end of October, beginning of November in 2020, right? I mean, it was late when Palo got signed to that car, so no rush. What about the eight car? Be a shock, as I've said for quite some time, be a shock if Ericsson's back there. I'm not aware of that car being sponsored next year. So of the folks who can bring money, uh, there's a lot of folks with a budget who are very interested in being in a championship contending car as well. So crazy amounts of interest there. And then we have the 11 car that Marcus is sharing with Takuma. I've said before on the podcast, based on what I've been told, uh, there's no real expectation for Takuma to be back in that car under its current construct. Meaning if he has to find a budget and bring it again, not sure if he's going to be able to find that amount to do that. Uh, this is the, there's a feeling of this kind of being last hurrah for Takuma. Now, could he come back next year with them or someone else? The Indy 500, sure, but that's totally undetermined. Armstrong, who has said he would like to be back, I believe has the budget to be able to do so. I think he is very much of interest to Ganassi, but I've also not gotten the feeling from Marcus or anyone else that he is a lock to be in that car. And I think it's for two reasons, and it fits the 10 car and the 8 car. Ganassi team is being overwhelmed with interest of people who want to be hired and who want to bring them money. And why rush when Marcus Armstrong is pretty dang good? Is there someone even better who might have the same ability to pay the same amount to drive the car? Let's wait and see. The season's over on September 10th. It's going to be a good long while till we start the new season. There's almost no off-season testing. There's no rush to name anybody to that car. The other thing, too, as well, Marcus has shown a lot of potential. Still waiting for him to convert that into a, a top five or something like that. So I think Ganassi, who knows, this kid's good, seems to have good potential, um, seems to have good budget, but... Let's see if he can also kind of seal the deal a couple of times with race finishes. Uh, I think those are the two big reasons why we haven't heard Marcus uh, has been uh, signed for multiple years. I do think, based on how long things may or may not go in terms of waiting to find out if they'll want him to stay in that car, um, there absolutely could be other teams that have an interest in him. I'd be lying if I said I haven't heard of at least one um, that has expressed an interest in him. So very different dynamic this year with Ganassi than we've seen uh, maybe ever before, where, I mean, it's almost take a number with how many people want to be a part of that program. You know, I thought back, Marshall, really long and hard. And unless, unless this can be, I don't know about the, the team continuation, right? Like, I don't know how this works out. So if I spotted for Carlin, Carlin became absorbed by Yunkos. Does that mean I've worked for Yunkos or not? I believe you can file for unemployment benefits from Yunkos. What, what I'm really just, just curious about is I'm trying to figure out if there's a single team I haven't done a spotting stint with yet, because maybe I just need to go there next year. And just close out the loop. I don't know. I don't know. But I definitely don't want to hold back that that young Armstrong kid, I tell you. He's a peach. I like that kid. He is. He's a good kid. But on that note, Marshall, we are five minutes over our uh, predetermined exit. And so I think it's time we shut this thing down. What do you think? Take us home, maestro. Well, friends, once again, we look back on our time together this evening with the racing family. And we want to thank you for joining us. Thank you for all the likes, the reposts, um, all the discussion on the threads even. Um, DMs are already starting to blow up with Don't Be a Dick Award nominees, and I appreciate it. Those of you who nominated to me, you might be blocked. Um, dealt with some really, really important life things today with a friend. Um, had a long discussion. And it fell in line with everything we talk about every time we have this show. 
Um, but it just seemed to hit home a little bit more than normal. And that's don't, don't forget the importance of the people in our lives. Um, you know, when somebody seems like they might be struggling or somebody seems like they might be going through some hard times, they probably are. And that, that could be a sign to you that it's, it, it's time for you to maybe step in and, and it was your, your calling to, to be that voice, um, to be that lending hand. And so uh, just never forget, man, it, one text, one call, you know, one beer at the bar um, goes a long way. It's unmeasurable. Um, also, tip of the uh, tip of the bottle, is, as, our, as our friend Peter said, to the, the great Gary Zeronian, motorsports icon, especially in the dirt racing world. Um, Gary passed away. I saw the news earlier today. The man deserves to be in every motorsports. Every Hall of, uh, Motorsports Hall of Fame imaginable. So, Gary, tip of the bottle to you, my friend. And on a more positive note, for those of you who did not see my tweet, if you have flow racing, you're in luck. If you don't, you need it. The Eldora Million started tonight. It's through tomorrow night. Highest paying dirt sprint car race in the world. Over $1 million to the winner. Eldora Speedway, Wing Sprint Cars. You will not find a more action-packed event. So I, I, I... I dare you to venture out of the sports car, IndyCar, Formula One, Spec Miata, whatever it is that that makes your belly jiggle. Venture out and check this out because you won't be disappointed. Um, That's really it. You know, life's not that difficult, folks. It's really not that hard at all. A lot of it's out of our control, but the things we can't control, we should. To start that off the best way, it's simple. Don't be a dick. Um... That's really it. Ben, thanks for joining us at always. Our sponsors, we love you. And for my esteemed co-host, Marshall Pruitt, I'm Chris Wheeler. We want to thank you for tuning in to The Racing Family Show. We will see you down the road. Beep, 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 beep.